0: Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Bring them together into this uh, beautiful mashup, and you, I mean, all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, well, is that a song by Michael Jackson? Isn't that one by Adele? What are they doing in the same song? And all of a sudden, You know, they just mashed it up, two different, and I mean, you have the definition in your handout if you flip it over, of what a mashup is. A creative combination or mixing of content from different sources. Now, that sounds like a marriage to me. A mixing or fusion of disparate elements. But look at this, a creative work, a creative work. And uh, so when I was watching one of their songs one day and I was thinking about doing this series uh, on marriage, I thought, wow, you know, that's a great definition of what uh, marriage is like. Um, I read some quotes this week. Albert Einstein said this, and, you know, I've been quoting this for probably 30 years. I didn't realize he was the one who said it until I hunted it down. And he said, men marry women with the hope that they will never change Women marry men with the hope that they will change. <laughs> Invariably, they're both disappointed. I mean, that's, so, that's kind of true, you know. Uh, then the singer Eddie Cantor said, Marriage is an attempt to solve problems together which you didn't even know you had when you were on your own. <laughs> what do you mean I have this problem? You know, I don't, I've never had this problem before you entered my life. What? Uh, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, whose biography I highly recommend, uh, the way he met his wife, their whole, uh, their whole life story is pretty fascinating. But Martin Luther said, let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, see. Yeah. so awesome. It's great. Uh, Paul, great apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians, his letter to the Corinthian church, he has um, a section in their own marriage. And as he's beginning to speak about it in verse 7, he says, But I wish everyone was single, <laughs> just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. And what Paul was saying is that it's kind of a gift to be single and and it's a gift to be married. It's a gift. And he's like, find out which gift and you know, I've realized there's a lot of people in Myrtle Beach who don't have the gift, you know, to be single. And uh, and then there are some that are. And so this today, when we talk today about Uh, the one another's a bit. I want you to know that every single verse, every time we speak of the one another's, they apply to all of us. Single, married, wherever you find yourself. We know that 50% of the people who live in Myrtle Beach are single. 50% of the people who live in Myrtle Beach or have been single have not married yet or they're widowed or they're divorced and the other 50% are married. So I've always kind of Stayed away a bit from the particulars in that because I didn't want half of the church, you know, half of the people to go, Man, this isn't about me. I don't know. I'm going to talk about marriage again. Good grief, you know. But all of these sayings that we talk about apply not just, you know, to marriage, but it originally intended for it to apply to the whole church, whether you're single or married. It had to do with inter church. Relationships, And that's how we treat one another in our communities of faith. So every time we talk about it, uh, know this, that it does apply to you. It applies to you no matter where you are, whether you're married or you're single. It doesn't matter. And um, you know, so we're going to be looking at a few of these. And good marriages, you know, they don't just happen. Good marriages, you think, well, if I can just survive this, <laughs> that's not a good marriage, <laughs> you know. Well, I made it. Whew, man, I mean, you had to make it to this, you know. Now, that's not, that's not what the Lord has for us. That's not his best for us. And, uh, you know, they're the result of hard work. A good marriage is. I and mean, I believe that every pain, every trouble, struggle, failure, and success, every laugh, every tear, all of it is kind of like an investment into the future of the relationship. So it's not that that was a waste. It's like we take whatever that is, whatever broke our heart, together, and we work together to see how it fits into us being everything that God wants us to be. And I would to say this um, over 40 years of pastoring now, officially, more unofficially, but 40 years of pastoring, we have seen we have seen some really devastated relationships over the years. I mean, we have seen some relationships who looked absolutely hopeless. Everything was stacked up against them. The only thing that wasn't stacked up against them was God. And a willingness on the two people's part to see things move a different direction. And once that happened, things began to move. I mean, we have seen devastated lives get healed. Was it like it was before the devastation? No, and I think that's one of the, we'll talk about this in another Sunday here coming up. But, you know, I think we go into brokenness and in our broken relationships, we go into thinking, oh, it's got to be like it was before. No, it doesn't, and it probably can't be what it was before. That doesn't mean it can't be awesome. That doesn't mean it can't be great. And I think that whole issue of seeing God mold something new out of the pain of the past. Is something only he can do as we willingly go along with him. And so, um, you know, I, I wrote this down. That you don't marry the right person. You become the right person. I don't know how many times I've had people tell me, you know, I'm looking for that person. I'm looking for that perfect person. And then they marry him and go... Man, that wasn't the right person. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. Instead of going, I married the person, and I'm finding out I'm not the person that I need to be and I want to be. And that's a day of beautiful reckoning where suddenly things can change then. So, you know, you don't marry the right person. You become the right person. And so I want to hand out, we have a sheet for you, the 59 one-anothers of the New Testament. Um, We're not going to cover all 59 this morning, but uh, we're going to talk about three of these, but everyone should get one. And uh, in the New Testament, there are 59 one another statements. These are mostly written, predominantly written to the church on how to treat one another within the church. But isn't it funny that we'll read something that's meant for the church, but we never think it's meant for our spouse. Or we never think it's about us in a marriage relationship. Fifteen times in the New Testament, we're told to love one another. And we're like, I'm supposed to love you. You're a church member, you're a brother, you're a sister in Jesus. But then, you know, it's also meant to be applied to that relationship in the marriage. And so we're going to take three of those out and we're going to talk about them. And um, again, word to singles, uh, you guys... All of these apply, every 59 of these apply to us in our relationships with one another, not just in marriage. Okay? So all of these you can take and you can learn how to treat one another, how to uh, build healthy relationships within the church and within your friendships. I want to invite a very special person up. Uh, This is my girlfriend of 50 years. uh, Karen, if you would come up. My girlfriend of 50 years, my wife of 48, and uh, I'm going to ask her to share a little. Would you welcome her? Make her feel welcome. Yeah. So let's pray, and uh, we'll jump into this. Lord, thank you for this time together. Uh, pray, Lord, that Lord that you would indeed, Father, come and minister to us. Uh, I pray for your help this morning, Lord. I pray that in my weakness. <clears throat> Lord, you would come and you would speak through Karen and I. We pray that you would highlight the scripture, bring it forth so that we could hear it, understand it. Um, Lord, help us in our weakness. Uh, Spirit of God, would you come and dwell among us here and teach us. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Amen. Amen. Well, on the back, flip your hand out over and there's a fill in on the back side. And we're going to look at three of these from the fifty-nine. And your first one is this, have equal concern for each other. Have equal concern for each other. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 25. The context of that verse is that Paul's writing a church that really uh, struggled relationally. There were sections. People had broken up into factions. Imagine that in a church, right? Um, this, this group of people didn't want to fellowship with this group. One group was kind of had more than this group. And so when the church would gather and they would have communion, this group that had more would gather in the house. They'd drink all the good wine before those who didn't have such good to bring to the relationship or for communion. Uh, they would drink it all up, eat all the food, and then those with less to contribute were left outside in the courtyard and they weren't a part of it. And so these factions were growing and, and deepening. And a lot of people in the church at Corinth thought that because Jesus came and because he has freed us, then we're free basically to do anything we want to do. Like God has freed me. I'm free to be. Self-actualized now 100%. It led to such thoughts as we have a dude in this church sleeping with his stepmom. And you ever read the Bible? That stuff's in there. I mean, you don't think it's real? It's real. It's in there. First Corinthians. And so Paul is stepping into this church, this situation, and he's trying to bring some sanity and to bring some f- true freedom to it. And I think, I think that, the, you know, every marriage is a microcosm of a church. I mean, it's, it's a picture of the smallest entity of a church. And um, so... You know, N.T. Wright says about Corinth, he says they were going, I'm free to do, act any way I please. And Paul comes along and reminds them that being a Christian does not set you apart from God's moral laws, but rather reinforces an ethic of true creation, which carries and contextualizes the celebratory reaffirmation of marriage. And he ends that comment on 1 Corinthians with compromise Will lead to ruin. And so in the Corinthian church. There was a lot of compromising going on. Because they're like I'm free. Who are you to judge me? I'll do what I want to do. Blah, blah 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 And things were fracturing. Families were fracturing. The church was fragmenting. And Paul steps into that. In order to say. And this is one of the things he said. Have equal concern. For each other. Or one another. Now Karen. I'm going to ask you, how oh. do we do that? What does that mean in a marriage? How do we have equal concern in our marriages?
1: I'll put my glasses on so I can see what I wrote. Okay. I'll take care of you. Hold on. Thank you. <laughs> you know? Okay. So I'm just fuzzing right now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to change it back. Yay. Thank you. Yes, on. Oh. Okay. Okay. Um, had given me his questions yesterday so I had time to pray about this and think about this and um, which is good I like to do that I like to know what I'm going to do and what I'm going to say so um, if Tim equal concern for each other so if Tim being my spouse isn't important or doesn't matter and it's about what I need how it has to look for me and for me to be okay, then it's not a relationship. The marriage is lifeless. There's no intimacy. And so we need grace. And grace is allowing the Spirit of God to operate in me. So he matters. I matter.
0: He's important. And I'm important. It's funny, when we come into a marriage, um, usually it does start out a bit one-sided. I mean, I told you guys, when we started out, and even though I was a brand-new Christian, excited about Jesus in every way, that it was very one-sided, because, I mean, I came, I worked hard, I came home, I went surfing, I rode motocross bikes, I played in a band, and then I came home to my beautiful wife, and let's have children cook me some food. (laughs) And then I went out and did my thing. It was very one-sided, you know, one-sided in every way. And she was very patient with me through those decades um, and still is in a way. But when it gets one-sided, eventually, eventually things get wonky. Eventually there is a day of reckoning that's coming, you know, where, where you have to. God won't let us off the hook with that. You know, he wants to build something very special in our marriages, he didn't want us just to exist or survive or get by like our friendships. He, don't, he doesn't want those just to stay surface. He wants them to deepen. He wants something very special. And you can't do that when, you know, one has less concern than the other does. And, um, and so to have that relationship, like Karen said, you know, it takes a devotion. And, um, you know, what does being devoted look like? Because in number eight on that list, Karen, it, it says be devoted to one another. Okay, sounds it does. radical, you know. it does,
1: I think it is. <laughs> yeah. um, I wrote down some words that apply for me, that help me, and there are lots of them, but observe, we need to observe each other, follow, we follow each other, we maintain, we have respect, and we support. And there are other words like true, loyal. I mean, there's a list. You guys can probably come up with a good list of how to be devoted.
0: Yeah. Being devoted like, I was devoted to surfing. <laughs> tell you that for absolute sure. You know, it probably took precedence over everything in my life. It was an absolute addiction. And, uh, oh, lost me. Uh, has been, you know, up until... Probably the last few took me getting older to realize, okay, I can't be like that anymore. But that's one-sided. You know, you're devoted to anything other than the person being the primary part of me giving my life, my heart, my passion to. Things get wobbly. And after a while, the person who's fully devoted starts going lacking because the other person is only partially devoted. Or when it seems... Like in my time, in my season, I need you now, but I don't need you then, right? It's push you away, but being devoted together brings us a, a certain blessing that we don't have in other ways. It, it also says in, like, number 12, it says stop passing judgment on one another. Now, how does that happen in a marriage? We know it happens in a church because Paul's talking about it in the church, but how about a marriage?
1: Right. Well, it sounds like when Tim shares more... I want to elaborate on the last one just a little bit. <laughs> um, it applies. It sounds like it's, he did everything or he wasn't enough. But really, it, it's both of us. You know, I was selfish. I mean, I needed certain things. I expected certain things. So um, all those that devoted that passing judgment, whatever we do, that's, that's both of us. You know, and that applies in your marriage as well. You know, there's two of you there. So somehow it works. It looks different, but it works. All right, passing judgment. How do we do that? (laughs) Um, We don't like choices our spouse makes. And we can't accept their behavior. So we place our standards on them. And this... When we do that, when I tried to do that, when I tried to get him to behave a certain way or do things like I needed them done, then that just totally bypassed us being devoted to each other. Then all those observe, follow, maintain didn't even register. But what if we, instead of passing judgment, we looked at how we can be understanding, um, use discernment, give insight, show kindness. That goes a long way, being kind, thinking that way. We get lazy in our relationships, um, but we can't afford to do that.
0: Yeah, the, the passing judgment thing is when we, we to me, it's when we, don't say it, but we think it. Like this person is cramping my style now. This person I married now is keeping me from doing what I want to do, and uh, she's no not for me. She's against me because now she's saying, "Hey, I wish you'd be home at least a couple hours a week," <laughs> you know, <laughs> something like that. And uh, suddenly we're like, then we pass judgment. We're like, "Who do you think you are?" You know, I'm like, "I'm a i am like i am married you basically for my good." You know, don't I take care of you? Here comes here come the you know the justifications right along with the judgments. And until we both look at each other and we realize we're on the same team here. I mean, once we realize that, we're we're not on opposing teams. We're not. It's like you know, this is written to a church, and it's like the church is on the same team. We're not on opposing teams, we're together. Once that day of reckoning in your own self uh, you realize the devoted part of it. This person, I'm devoted to them. We take these vows, you know. We take these vows, and we get married. And uh, just a few days later, we're going to be reminded of the vows we we took and but we, taken. But we don't, uh, you know, we don't seem to quite cherish those vows of being committed to one another uh, on wedding day. Wedding day, everything is blissful and beautiful, and it's stressful, but. You know, later on, we come back to those vows. We're like, did I mean that? Now's where it really begins to get built and being devoted to one another. Uh, Okay, if you keep on, your second fill-in is this. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Yes, this was written to a church, Galatia. But boy, is that true about a marriage, is it not? If you keep at it and you just keep on devouring and you keep on taking, taking, criticizing, judging, if you keep doing that and then the other one starts, after a while there's not going to be any marriage entity left. It'll be devoured and eaten up until there's nothing left. And this context in this situation in Galatia was that they had uh, some, you know, False teachers had come into the church and were beginning to subvert the truth of Christ in this group. But, you know, I, I saw a great comparison here because when we have problems in our marriage, who do you go to? You usually don't go to someone who is going to tell you the truth from scripture. You'll go to someone who is going to sympathize with you. You ought to go to someone that goes, yeah, you should leave her. You should leave him. Like You shouldn't put up with this. I see it the same way as subverting. These are false teachers that have like just like get into the church and stir up things. Sometimes that will happen at the right time. Whenever we're having problems in our marriage, you find a friend. You're pouring your heart out to them about how miserable you are in this relationship, and all of a sudden here comes the false teachers. And they may be your brothers and sisters. They may be your church members, your best friends. But they love you so much. They they don't go to what Christ is saying. They'll go to wanting to help you get out of the pain. So, yeah, you should leave them. You should depart. And we'll talk in another here as we come about that, leaving, divorce, all of that. We're going to talk about all of it. But just like Galatia had to, uh, the Galatian vineyard, uh, vineyard uh, believers, there was one there, and uh, been around a while. And uh, that just as they had to be careful about the voices that spoke into that church and began to... To separate it, so do marriages. Because once we start biting and devouring each other, we start destroying one another. And you, some of you know what I mean. You, it's, you know, I say this, you say that. You bite, I gobble, right? It's one, some of us are very competitive in, in our uh, marriages. Nobody's going to win this. I'm going to win this argument. And you will totally lose the war. Totally lose it. You walk out of the room, boy, and I got the best of her. Yeah, right, yeah. Big chunk just got eaten away in the relationship because of the way it was handled. Maybe it was, maybe it's a justified topic, it's a justified struggle, but it was handled in such a way you devoured each other. And just like the church here in Galatia begins to fall apart and fragment, so do our relationships when we get start that way. So, um, you know of the 15 sins listed in galatians here in 5:19 through 20 8 of those sins listed are concerned with interpersonal relationships 8 out of the 15 and you can sin against one another you can sin against one another with the way you talk we talk to one another the way we treat one another and just like sin against god it takes a repentance and a confession and a forgiveness in order to get back away from that devouring and getting to a place where you can get healed and begin to have a healthy relationship. So Karen, how do we bite and devour one another?
1: Okay, well first I want to say, you guys need to write this somewhere, each of you, and just remind yourselves daily that you're on the same team. When you see a team play and they're, They're together. They're working for each other. They're not trying to win an argument. They're not trying to be right. They're trying to see how they can come together about this, how they can make it better. And so just remember, you're on the same team. You married your teammate and you work on this together. So how do we bite and devour? We're critical. And that is so easy for us to be critical with our mate. Um, We make snide remarks. We're passive aggressive. We're arrogant about wanting our own way. We have selfish expectations. You know, I don't always need to say what I feel. I like to. Makes it better for me. But I don't always need to. And that's for any relationship. Sometimes we just don't need to air it all, all the time. Um, I can hold my tongue. Now that's a novel idea, right? We can hold our tongue. We can wait to an appropriate time. We can pray about it. We can... See what the Father's saying. And let him handle it.
0: That's good. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Beautiful. Galatians 5, it says, But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And that's the antidote to that devouring, is serving one another humbly in love. And then... He says something that you've heard before from Jesus. And if you've read the Old Testament, you've read this too. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right in the middle of this in Galatians. We will talk about that and we'll say, yeah. And we've done series on loving our neighbors here. And how do we do that? But you know the closest neighbor you have? The one you wake up to in the morning. And you look over and there's your neighbor. And some mornings, you know, we just, we take for granted, our neighbor, our, you know, our best, and favorite, and closest neighbor. And uh, imagine if you treated, them, maybe you do, but maybe, imagine if you treated your next-door neighbor the way you treat your spouse sometimes. You know, like, in the morning, your neighbor walks out, and you're leaving for work, and they go, hi, and you go, ah, <laughs> I don't feel good. Don't talk to me, you know, I don't feel good right now. Have, move away from me, move away from me, you know, nobody, you'd be nobody's friend after a while. But we take for granted that, that neighbor that is our lover, that is our friend, that is our spouse that's next to us. And we, we forget they're our neighbor. and we, we don't even treat them like our neighbor sometimes. And that's a part of what Jesus said, right? You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. And what? Your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this was Israel's gold standard of how to behave And there it is, right in the middle of it, our neighbor, our neighbor. So you're devouring one another in our marriages. um, So how can we serve one another and love our spouses as our neighbors?
1: Well, I wrote just a few that I thought about. Share your dreams. Listen intently. Compliment and encourage each other often. And this one's pretty important because we don't always do this. But be genuine with your "I'm sorry."
0: It's easy to be glib with our sorries, isn't it? I mean, you know, like, all right, well, I'm sorry. No, you're not. You just willing. You just want the conversation to end. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But what have you deeply, deep inside really were like you allowed that moment, you allowed God's goodness and grace and mercy in your life to suddenly grab your heart and bring you to a place of repentance, like a place that was strong, like when you came to know Christ, you know, and all of a sudden your heart was gripped by his goodness and his grace and his mercy and you realized, my my, my sins were were many, but Jesus came and he died for me, and your heart was humbled in that moment as you confessed your you know, your your lack of righteousness and Jesus welcomed you and loved you. It was that honest moment and I think many times in our marriages we glibly pass on the you know, I'm sorry in an effort just to get on down the road. I know for me, I'll say it quickly, too quick. But then God gets me later on. <laughs> it's like I'll do something that I know, you know, hurt her. And I'll say, I'm sorry. And then I'll go. And then about four miles down the road, Jesus goes, seriously, really? I mean, ser- Tim, how long? Have- no, 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 you know better than that. Come on. <clears throat> come on. He just doesn't let you get by with it, you know. It's like grips your heart so that you can change and so more healing can come to the moment. And none of this is possible without the Holy Spirit in our lives. You work this on your own. You'll get frustrated every single time. You can get frustrated anyway. But with the Holy Spirit there to mold us. To make us. To convict us. We can do this thing. We can learn to live a whole different way with one another. And in our marriages. We can do it. And that's. You know, love your neighbor as yourself and don't bite and devour. And the end of that section of Scripture in Galatians, it says, So I say, so I say, after saying all that, don't devour, walk in the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you won't be snapping so much. You won't be treating the person. Walk in the Spirit. We spent a lot of time in 2019 talking about the Holy Spirit, what it meant How to live in a submitted life to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the author of the book here is saying, look, you can't do this without submitting yourself to the presence of God in your life. Because that part of you, that flesh part of you, wants to rule and the reign. Every time. It wants to take control of it. It wants to, you know, you want to win the argument, but you're definitely going to lose the war. You've been married over just a little bit of time. You realize that. You know, I won that one. No, you didn't. You know what's coming? <laughs> God's not going to let that go. He's going to bring it. He's going to allow it to come back again and again and again. And we need His Holy Spirit. We need that to grip our heart, to keep us humble in that way. And, um, you know, the Holy Spirit, is, that's how we ask um, through Him, is where we get the humility and the repentance and to turn from Him, to turn from our ways and to turn toward Him. Um, Number 31 in your list there says, Bear with one another. Bear with one another. Some people uh, translate this as put up with one another. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't necessarily like that one, but I like to get the, the picture and the, the definition of the word of getting up under and, and having a patient endurance with the person that you're with. Get up under them and endure and, and hold them up. But I'll tell you, sometimes you do have to put up with each other. I mean, sometimes you do. you like, you just look at each other and go, oh, man, you know. After a while, you know, it's like the little things aren't, you know, there are little things. There are things that you just let go. You don't, you know, like, I I know him, you know, he'll come around, (laughs) you know, or she'll come around and all. And so we bear with one another. That's the word to the church. We're supposed to bear with one another, be with one another, hold one another up, continuously be there. How much more with one another in our marriage relationships? Your third fill in is this and um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We will talk about the other part of that that some of you know about below that, but it's very important to preface the rest of that, what's written in this book, with this first. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ Uh, in the Ephesians, you know, it would be good if you're going to read the book of Ephesians to read the book of Colossians right along with it because they kind of mirror each other in many ways. And uh, Ephesians is a book about identity formation, about who we are in Christ. The first chapter of Ephesians, I have been repeating to myself and personalizing it for decades now. I pick it up and where it says you, I put me, I put I, I personalize it. It does wonders for you if you're trying to develop a healthy identity in jesus it's wonderful just to keep making it personal it's good for your marriage as well and so this letter is written because there were some again hollow and deceptive philosophies flowing into the church that were trying to hijack the true truth of who christ was and what he had done for us and again that's like the bad advice and philosophy we get from many places on our marriages I mean, you can't go anywhere where, and and especially, I'm going to say in America, this independent spirit that we have of us not being, you know, it's about me, it's about what I feel, it's about me, and if I'm not getting my needs met, I'm going somewhere where I can. that is like a curse many times to our relationships, to church relationships and to marriage relationships. And this book is written to say, no, your identity is not found in that. Your identity is found in Christ. And who he is. And this submission word, submitting, is like a picture. You know, some of us that love Jesus and we're pretty vocal about it would go, I die for you, Jesus. But you won't submit to your partner in marriage. You know, it's easier, Jesus, kill me for your name, you know, than it is for me to learn to submit my feelings, submit my selfishness in order to have a good relationship. You get this? It's true. And the thing is, submission in the scripture, which is there over and over again, is a picture of the lordship of Christ in our lives, of submitting to his lordship, who he is, and what he's called us to do. So when we do it in relationship, and when we do it in our marriage, it's a huge shout out to the testimony, uh, testimony to the graciousness of God, and that we can do this. We can submit to it. We will give our lives for the gospel. We'll give our lives for Christ. And we'll give up our selfishness as well for the cause of Christ. And submission was so important for the New Testament writers because it described the self-giving love and willingness to die that was demanded of all Christians. And, um, and we submit to one another. It means to arrange under to range under, I like preferring one another submitting to one another and um, the NIV application commentary says the idea of mutual submission would have been an offensive would have been as offensive to people in the ancient world as today despite our nervousness over the word submission this text should not be watered down Especially when the focus is on Christ as a pattern for Christian lives. The text confronts both ancient and modern cultures. And boy, does it, does it confront us. Because we don't want to submit to anything. Nothing. Yeah, it's all about my will, what I want. So Karen, how can we submit to one another? Ooh, Help that's me. a hard one. Help me, honey. Help well, me.
1: I've, got, I've got one little, I want to go back. To serve just for a second and say that when we serve each other there's a stronger sense of purpose and meaning in our marriage Um, because then we're busy being thoughtful so all those things that I said about (coughs) serving all those words that we used remember that the same way that you serve when you go out and do an act of service For someone in your community or kind to your neighbor. So um, I thought that was important. That that gives meaning and purpose for us um, when we do that. Just like it does outside of marriage. (coughs) So how do we submit to one another? Um, I have to pray. I have to trust. um, I have to practice. The more of him, more of God, more of the Father, less of me principle. Um, And for me, I just have to accept that this is God's process for us to have a good relationship, for me to have a good marriage. And I first, though, have to be submitted to him, God. And I think without that, I would be a pretty selfish person. So I need to submit. It's good for me.
0: You know, you can submit. It's more about an attitude than it. Uh, when we hear the word "submit," we see it as a weakness. But it's really about recognizing the value of another person. Like, to me, submission, it took me about 10 years of marriage before I ever kind of got this. I got some erroneous theology early on. But also experience kind of works. I realized that God has placed in my wife gifts that I don't have. She has a view of life that I don't have. And I have one that's different than hers. But together we get a much more holistic view. Full view of what God wants to do in our lives together. So when I see... When I sense that God is doing something to her and speaking to me, I submit to that. I recognize it, and I go, man, that's a word. That's, it, it, I would say it's a word from God. It could be something just wise that I've missed with our children, grandchildren. All of a sudden, she says something, something she notices, and, and, I, and I might even disagree at the moment, but I sense in that moment, hey, this is, this is wise. This is truthful. This is helpful right now. What she's seeing, I submit to that. You get this? I mean, I recognize the gift and the church is supposed to be like that. When you see the gifts in each other and you hear the wisdom from one another, we listen, we consider, and when we see that it's wise, then we submit to it, we submit to one another. We also submit in love to one another always. Everything is submitted to love. Being submitted does not mean you don't tell the truth. It doesn't mean you don't disagree. It means you're looking for God's truth in the best way and the wisdom in the moment. And none of us on our own have all of that. And so we're looking, we're praying, like what do you see? I mean, this is a, you know ongoing conversation in life as your children grow up. And you have grandchildren and you've got so many friends and all. And, and so it's a beautiful thing to watch how God will gift one and, and the other is a complimentary gift to it. And so we submit to one another. And that's a picture of the humility of Christ in us. It takes away our arrogance. And our seemingly have to have our way all the time. We're looking for God's way in it. And a couple that will submit to one another and recognize God's will while it's working. As, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If two people are like that, that you have a 100% chance of having a wonderful marriage when both want that and both are willing to go that direction and work on it and learn to submit to Christ to Lord to the Holy Spirit and to one another as God is working you have a 100% possibility of having a wonderful life together it doesn't mean there won't be pain lost along the way and challenging but all of that will be like a down payment put in a bag You go through something tough and you look at each other and you go, man, that hurt. You know, that really hurt. Children, situations. But when you go together, you put it in that bag and you're like, this glues us tighter together than ever before. What did you sense in it? We submit to one another. And uh, here, I have some homework for you today before we pray. You see those 59 that you have in your... List there Now, no, I won't ask you to do all 59 this week. Um, but I will ask you this. Take one. And if you're single, you can do this too because you can practice this with your friends and, and, and people in the church and your friends and all. But those of us who are married, take one of those 59. And over this next week, practice it. Practice it. Take one. Just take one. And like I said, if you're single, then do it with a friend. Take one and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this one. You know, just, just pick one. Uh, let us not become conceited, you know, provoking and envying each other. Okay, how am I going to lower my ego here and my selfishness down a notch this week and, and not do that with my friends? You know, how am I going to do that? Because if you'll ask the Lord and you point one of these out, he's going to see that you get an opportunity to practice it. You know, so you just do it. And there's enough on here that actually you could practice for 52 days, you know. Fifteen of these are love one another. So you could actually take one for every week of this year, you know, and you could just practice one of these. Imagine what our relationships and our marriages would be like if we just took one every week and we worked on it. And we were cognizant of practicing these things with one another. Imagine what kind of relationships we would have. Would you pray for us? Mm.
1: Father I just thank you Um, I thank you for each individual each family that's here these couples that are here um, these singles that are here in their relationships Father I pray that you would pour out your spirit on them so that they can flourish in their relationships so they can become stronger So they can encourage, so they can love each other well. And Lord, I pray that you would give them a heart to cry out to you where they lack, and for what they need. And Father, that you would just bless them, bless them with
0: every good thing that you have.
1: Amen. Thank you,
0: Lord. And Lord, before we sing our last song here and we head out into our lives and to the world that you planted us in. Say to all of us that there's no way to live like this outside of the help from a creator that loves us, from a savior who saved us, who gave himself for us, and then said he was going to place his very spirit inside of us to help us, to teach us, to comfort us, to change us. And if you have not intentionally said to Christ, I surrender, I give my life to you, then that's your first step. first step in having a good relationship with others and a good relationship in a marriage we can't live like this outside of having his help and so this morning I want to ask if if you have not done this would you raise your hand and say Tim this morning I'm going to do that I'm surrendering my life to Christ and asking him to forgive me come into my life and to begin to lead me and teach me would you just raise your hand up let me see who you are so I can pray for you Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, you see, Lord, that hand, our hands, Lord, that maybe I missed, God, but you saw. Lord, would you sweep into that heart right now and feel and reveal your great love, Lord, as they surrender to your presence and to your Relationships in this room that are fragmented and are stressing and are so challenging. I pray today that hope would arise. The devouring would stop, Lord. And the words of reconciliation, love, Lord, and commitment would once again flow from the lips of those that stood before you and made their vows to you, Lord. Come and heal and give hope, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.